season two of the JKR podcast powered by Black Cobra Sports. My name is Jay Shriglin and I'm the host. Let's dig into today's episode after a word from our sponsor. Welcome back to the JKR Podcast. My name is Jay Shrigling and I'm the host. Today is going to be episode number two of three this weekend. Had a great episode yesterday with 2023 Notre Dame baseball commit Ryan Hussey. Another great episode today as we have 2023 Texas commit. Got Oliver Service on the show. Uh, one more episode besides today for the weekend. We've got Ashton Larson tomorrow, LSU baseball commit. All three great guests, great content here all weekend. So I'm glad you guys are able to be a part of it. Met all three of these guys at that 17 UWBA I've talked about. Um, that was a great experience. Got to introduce, got to introduce myself to some of these guys. Pass out those business cards. But just a huge thanks to my dude Preston Chapman for introducing me to Oliver. Um, so just huge thanks for him. Go check him out. He's the CEO and founder of Care Sports Management. So go shoot, go shoot them a follow on Instagram. Go check them out. See what he's doing. Got some huge stuff going on. He's a former JKR podcast guest and an upcoming JKR podcast guest. So he's going to be the first ever two-time appearance on the podcast. So that's going to be huge. But just digging in more into the uh, episode today with Oliver, uh, we discussed his Little League World Series experience. They made it pretty far into that Little League World Series here about four years ago. Um, he actually was on ESPN Top 10. So that's a cool experience. Get to talk about that. Also talking talk about the recruiting process and how we wound up at Texas. Then we'll dig into a little bit about catching behind the plate and how he's calling games. Uh, much more, just all about his career as a whole. Um, so let's dig into it, and I hope you guys enjoy it. And welcome back to the JKR Podcast, where we have one of the top prospects in Michigan for the 2023 class. We got Detroit native, Texas baseball commit. We got Oliver Service on the show. Oliver, super pumped to get you on the show, man. How are you doing today? Uh, you know, doing good. Just got done playing another WWA game, two for three. Little dog, 12 to nothing. Perfect. Who did you guys play today? Uh, we played uh, D-backs. Out of Pennsylvania. Okay. All right. Um, so before we dig into that, there's always one question I like to ask everybody as soon as they come on the podcast. And that question is just, for those who don't know you, how would you introduce yourself? Who exactly is Oliver Service? Um, well, I love to play baseball. Uh, big high energy guy. Love hitting. Uh, good teammate. And, you know, I'm ready to play at any time. You know, I don't like to take breaks. I just like to keep playing. Okay. All right. I mean, you proved yourself there play, two, playing in two WWBAs this year. So let's let's dig into that a little bit. Let's dig into Wild Factor. So how how exactly did you get connected with Wild Factor? Um, I think it was one of my friends, Josh Campbell, who played with them. And then he recommended me to them. And I've been playing with them for about – Two and a half, three years now. Okay. So before you went to Wild Factor, were you playing with like a local team up in Michigan or who exactly were you playing for? So Wild Factor was the team I played with. Like I didn't start playing uh, like with the 23 age group because I was in the age group below until I started playing with Wild Factor. So Wild Factor was the team I played with 
when I was playing with the 23s. And then when I was playing with 24s, I would be with Little Caesars. And that's okay. a community-based program. Okay. So, technically, you are a class of 2023, right? Like, you'll be a senior this year? Yes. So, how, how exactly – so, when you say you played with the 24s, what was that just, like, age – was that just your age? Yes. Okay. Okay. So what's that like? What was that like moving up one class, playing in the class of 2024, and then moving up to the class of 23? Like, did you see a big difference in just age, or was it kind of similar? Uh, yeah, I I struggled uh, my first summer playing with the 23s because it was so much different than playing with the 24s. Um, but I've I've adjusted to it now, and I think. The, based on playing in the 17U WWA and the 16U, there is definitely a huge difference in the competition. Okay. So now that you've adjusted to it, you've been playing it now for a couple of years for the 2023s. So last week you were at that 17U WWBA in Atlanta. This week you said you're still down there in Atlanta playing in the 16U, so also class 2024. Yes. So what are the biggest differences that you're seeing this week compared to last week? Um, Definitely the hitting like other teams hitting abilities, fielding abilities, pitching abilities. Um it's kind of like the game moves so much differently in the 17U. Like the games move more smoothly, there's less errors, less walks. Um but there's a lot more hard hit balls. Uh but the fielding is better, the hitting's better, the pitching's better. It's it's definitely a big difference from the two. Okay, so what exactly is that like age rule that allows you to be a class of 2023 but allow you to play with the 24s as well when you want to? Um, I think I think it's as long as you're below the age of 17 before May 1st. Okay, so kind of 17 till next week. Okay. So for those, so for dudes who are born kind of in the summertime, that late spring, they're kind of able to go to two different types of classes if they'd like. Yes. Okay. All right. So are you planning on before you head to Texas next fall? Are you planning on playing a couple summer events with the 2024s at all next summer? Um, I'm not sure yet. It depends on how early uh, I go on to Texas's campus. But if I do end up just going in August, then I'll definitely probably play some. Uh, tournaments with the 24s okay so is it for this for this summer in total so is this wwba is this going to be your last event or the summer or are you planning on uh, going to some other events before school starts um so i have next after this i'm going to the pbr national championship and then from the pbr national championship i'll go down to florida for the hank aaron event um and then i'll go home from there but then okay. I, in september i have the uh, future Stars, New, New Balance Future Stars event at Fenway. That's in September. And then after that, probably Jupiter. Okay. So have you played in that Future Stars game yet before? Oh, no, I haven't. This okay. So what are, you looking, what are you looking forward to most of playing at Fenway? Uh, the Green Monster. Yeah. You think you'll be able to hit one over there? Yeah. I did at JetBlue before, so hopefully I can do it at the real one. Yeah. Because JetBlue is the Red Sox spring training facility, right? Yes. Okay, so how similar is that to Fenway? Obviously, you haven't been to Fenway yet, but is JetBlue's Green Monster, is that kind of similar in size? Um, I'm pretty sure it is. It looks a little different. There's like a little 
roof over the seats, unlike at Fenway where there's no roof over the seats, I'm pretty sure. But um, I think it's the same size. Like, it's supposed to be, like, an exact replica of the Fenway Park. Okay. So you also said you're playing in the Hank Aaron event and the PG National Championships. So where are those going to be played at? So the PBR National Championship is at, uh, is at Lake Point, and uh, Hank Aaron is at v- Vero Beach. Okay. So you said Lake Point. So how does Lake Point – How? Well, last last week when I was at East Cobb at the WWBA, that was my first time actually going to East Cobb, and I've actually never been to Lake Point. I'm from Indiana, so I don't get down to Georgia very often. Mm-hmm. So for you, how does Lake Point compare to East Cobb? Because I hear a lot of players saying that Lake Point's actually a better facility. Uh, I I agree. Lake Point's a better facility. They have more fields, and they're all exactly the same, same distances, same everything. Like, and it's a super nice complex. Like, everything there is high quality. Okay. I'm not saying East Cobb's not, but Lake Point has more fields. They've got, they've got everything. They've got good food, stuff like that. Yeah. Well, I mean, East Cobb facility, that's nice. But one thing I realized last week when I was there was, I mean, there's teams traveling 45, 50 minutes just to go play one game. And then they could travel 45, 50 minutes the opposite direction for a game the next day. Yeah. To me. To me, that just seems crazy. I guess I didn't realize that the tournament w- wasn't all at one spot. Yeah, it's 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 rough. It's yeah. Really so, rough. so where did you guys play at today? Were you at East Cobb or were you at somewhere else? Oh, uh, we played at East Cobb yesterday, and that's our only time playing in it. Playing at East Cobb during the um, pool play. We okay. Played at some high school at uh, Alpharetta. Okay. So how how are you guys looking this week? Are you guys uh, planning on making the tournament, or how, how's how's pool play going? Uh, pool play is going well. We're three and zero. First game we won three to one. Second game we won eight to zero, and today we won twelve to zero. So we're looking pretty good. Hoping to keep it going. Make a deep run in the bracket play. Our pitching is looking really good. Okay. So, so does Wild Factor Class two thousand twenty four? Do they have some other some other uh, like Power Five schools? Oh well, for for um. For Wild Fa- I'm not playing with Wild Factor this week. I'm playing with um, Trotsky National. They're out of California. Oh, yeah. So we're at uh, – I'm playing with Trotsky National. and uh, So I was supposed to play with Little Caesars, but something happened, so I just joined Trotsky. Okay. So when you so playing for two different travel ball uh, teams, playing for the Wild Factor in the 2023 class, playing for them in 2024. What are the main differences that you've seen between both travel ball programs? Um, it's definitely like the age gap one. And then I would say there's not much of a difference between the skill. I feel like, cause our Trotsky team is, they're very good. Like every, every one of those kids is, um, those, those Cali kids are very good. And yeah. I mean, Cal, Cali is definitely definitely one of those top four states when it comes around around the United States when it comes to just high school baseball in general. Yeah. But um, from just looking at Wild Factor, just digging a little bit of research, it looks like Wild Factor has a bunch of dudes who are going to some Power Five D one schools. So yeah. with you just being like an insider of that program and seeing some of your teammates, guys who are older than you, uh, what do you think's led to that success of the Wild Factor program so far? Um, definitely uh, this like. Everybody's a polished player. No one has to really work on 
their little things like fundamental, like fielding ground balls, stuff like that, making good throws every time. Like everyone is coming to the field and they know what they have to do and they can all get the job done. Every single one of those kids from top to bottom, like one through nine, we have studs. Like we don't have a dead spot in our lineup. The only okay. thing that really affected us was maybe pitching. I feel like if we had a few more pitchers, we could have went all the way. But um, so, who are some of those other guys in the wall factor lineup that pe- uh, people should be looking out for? Um, definitely one of them's definitely Sam Richardson. He's a 2024 Missouri commit. Um, the kid can swing. He just swings every time I see him. Um, another kid. He's actually uncommitted. Alex Cheeseman. Uh, he was a big part of our defense at shortstop. That kid made play after play after play after play. Um, and then another one, Jacob Brown. That kid's a stud. Big power bat, West Virginia guy. Um, and then one guy that came in late was uh, Eli. Uh, I can't remember his last name, but Eli Ramsey. And he's a middle Tennessee commit, I think. But he's really good. He's about a 6'3 frame. Swings it. He hits the ball for power to all fields, and he pitched for us a little bit. Got us through a couple of good, close games. Um, but yeah, that, they recruit really well. Uh, the head guy Evan Earhart, he's really good. Okay, so with this, with this potentially being your last couple of events of travel ball, depending on whether or not you play la- uh, next summer in the travel ball circuit, um, just what are some of your favorite memories that you just look back at your travel ball career that just come to mind when you think about uh, just playing travel ball? Um, definitely 14U. Uh, I was playing with the Motor City Hate Dogs, and we were in the PG World Series. We were the second-ranked team in the country, and then the team we played in the championship was the first. And they had a kid throwing 90 on the on the bump to start. And we go out there, and we put up, I think, three runs in the first inning, and our pitcher shuts them down through the next couple innings, and uh, one of my teammates hits a bomb. He actually ended up hitting two bombs that game. This is wood bat too. Um, but, yeah, that was a big, really fun moment, just uh, being able to play against the best competition and putting our best foot forward and winning the yeah. championship. Yeah. So being in 14, you and you're facing 90 miles an hour. Sorry. No, you're good. So being in 14, you and you facing 90 miles an hour, was that your, was that your first time facing 90 at all, or did you face it before, before that game? Um. That tournament, we didn't see 90 before that, but I had seen 90 before off, like, machines, stuff like that. Yeah. So what's your approach as you're seeing 90 for maybe the first, second time in a game um, for, like, real life, uh, live ABs? What's your approach as you're heading up to the plate just going up against a 90-mile-an-hour pitcher who's just dominating? Um. So if, like – well, first I look at the batters in front of me because usually I'm not the leadoff hitter. Um, but I see what he does if he's starting fastball or, or he's starting slider or curveball or changeup, whatever. And then my approach with the faster pitchers is to um, get my foot down early and then see the ball out of the hand and be short to the ball and use the whole field. Because when a guy's throwing that hard, if you meet it, it's going to go. You don't have yeah. to add any extra stuff to it. You just got to meet the ball with the barrel and it'll go somewhere. And that usually works for me pretty well. Yeah. Yeah. So let's let's move on a little bit to high school ball just a little bit. So you play in Detroit. It says Detroit on perfect game. But where exactly are you playing high school at? Uh, I play at University League of School. 
Okay, so how far is that from down? It's about 20 minutes. 20 minutes, okay. So are you ready for your senior year? Like you come, I mean, you've been playing high school ball for three years now. So are you are you finally ready to be that senior? Oh, uh, yes. I think my game is the last couple, like the last month. I think my game's really improved. And I think I'm finally becoming a player that uh, I know I can be. And uh, it's only up from here. I only see myself getting better and better and better every day. Yeah. And, uh, my next, my senior year is definitely going to be my biggest year yet. Yeah. So now that you are heading to, heading to school here in a month, month and a half to become a senior. Um, so just looking at in the classroom and on the baseball field, what are you needing to do to prepare to be that senior in high in school, in class and on the baseball field? Uh, well, definitely school comes first. Uh, making sure I'm getting everything in on time, taking the time to meet with teachers if I need to catch up on something because I will be missing class due to like baseball travel stuff and making sure that I'm staying on top of my work, even though I have to go to those other events, you know, that are during school. Um, just making sure I'm holding myself accountable uh, for what I need to get done, getting the things that need to be done, making sure that I'm still practicing, even though I got to get some schoolwork done. But the school comes first, then the baseball. But I think I've done a good job balancing the two. Uh, it hasn't really been a problem for me. So I think I should be pretty good this year. Yeah. So when you have when you have to miss an extended period of time for baseball, um, what are you what are you trying to do to make up that work? How do you go about it? And just what's your mindset as you see your friends maybe posting on Snapchat in school while you're playing maybe in Florida in a baseball tournament? Like, what's your mindset on that? Um, Definitely, like, you know, I'm out here on a business trip. Like, you know, I get it. They're back at home doing fun stuff, you know. But I'm on a business trip, and I'm going to handle my business and make sure I got to get done what I got to get done. And when I get back, I'm not falling behind. Awesome. Love that's that's a great approach to have. I love to hear it. But let's let's dig in a little bit to your recruiting process. Obviously, going to Texas, like I mentioned earlier. Um, so just dig into how that recruiting process started for you. When did you start getting noticed by some D one teams? Um, so I started getting noticed. It was after the fourteen U national showcase. I had a really good showing, and then I had uh, a couple of good schools start contacting me. And then from that point on, I hadn't gotten any offers yet, but they were kept in contact with me throughout the season. And then, let me see. So after my 15U summer, that's when it really started to pick up. Like last year, um, my fall season, that's when I got a lot of looks. I started going to camps, um, got looks from the camps. And then the last camp I went to on my list, which was Texas in January, um, that was the one that hit the hardest, I guess, because they offered me right after, and soon after that, I made my commitment. Yeah. So now, so when you were moving back to when you were 14, 15, and you were starting to get those initial schools contacting you, what was going through your mind as some school, as some, you said, big schools were reaching out to you, who were some of those schools? And then what was just going through your mind when you were having those initial talks with them? Uh, so basically, what I'm, what was going through my head, like, wow, I guess I really can be a Division One baseball player, you know, starting to become a reality. And uh, schools like Michigan, uh, Michigan State, Notre Dame, um, Central Michigan, kind of schools around the area, Tennessee, Tennessee uh, UNC, uh, Southern University, 
there's a bunch of schools that was like interested in me, but some of them just weren't pulling the trigger. So, you know, I ended up waiting and waiting and waiting. And then uh, Texas finally, they came in and they were like, we want you. And that was the first time a coach ever, like, other than like one other school was like, we really want you here and we're going to offer you like, let's go. Okay. So just when you were having those initial, what were, what were some of those initial conversations like with schools? So Texas, UNC, central Michigan, Michigan, what were some of those initial conversations? Like what questions were they asking you and just overall, what vibes were you getting from different coaches? Um, so most of the schools, like the coaches were very nice, you know, friendly checking in on me every, every week. Um, but they kind of – not every call was about baseball. Like, sometimes they just check in on me, see how school's going. Um, the first initial talk is, like, how they saw me, like, where they saw me at, the, how they like me, where they see I could fit. And then the rest of them are kind of just checking in on how I am um, or, like, how I'm playing, how school's going, stuff like that. Okay. So you said you ended up committing to Texas in January. So I assume you said you've been to Austin to Texas's campus? Yes. Okay. So what was that visit like when you went to go visit Austin? What was the city like? What was the campus like? And overall, what what did you like about the campus? Um, so from the first night I was at the campus, um, I told my mom and dad, like, this is the place I want to be. Because it was so much, it was just so much different from the other camps that I went to. Like the coaches were so nice and helpful, and the facilities were amazing. The city is great, and it was just like as soon as that first night was over the camp, I was like, "This is where I want to be." It was yeah. so like it was, you know, I just got that feeling like this is different than any other school I went to so far. Yeah. So uh, what, at what point was this and how long, how long after was it that you actually committed to Texas? Um, I think it was, they, it was January. It was right after MLK weekend. I went to the camp and then after the camp, I think three, two or three days later, I ended up committing. They offered the day after, um, the day after the camp and then two or two days after that I committed. Okay. So besides it feeling like home, kind of, you said you were telling your parents that you really wanted to be there um, and just the coaches being nice coaching staff. What was it that put Texas on top of some of those older schools that you mentioned earlier? Um, The academics. Uh, Texas has a stellar academic program, especially in the sciences and the communications. I either want to major in the science or uh, broadcasting, sports broadcasting, something like that. So that was another big part that played into my decision-making. Um, but everything in Austin is really nice. The the city, the campus, the people, you know, it was just different than any other school I've been to so far. Okay. So what were those two majors you said you're looking into as you start uh, pos- uh, as you start next fall? Um, sports broadcasting and, um, and uh, meteorology. Okay. So let's say – 10, 15 years down the road when baseball, when uh, your baseball career does come to an end, what what is a job that you're kind of wanting to do um, once being an athlete is over for you? Um, I mean, either be a weatherman or a sports broadcast, you know, ESPN, something like that. That'd be cool. You know, I always see these retired guys, uh, you know, going to be in the broadcasting area. So 
I, I think that'd be pretty fun. Yeah, I was actually I was actually just watching intentional talk right before we hopped on. Uh, Kevin Millar, he's up there interviewing Schwarber, a bunch of um, yeah. Vladdy. It, it's cool. It's cool to see some of those uh, old baseball players out there broadcasting. It's fun to watch. Yes, sir. but um, so being the class of two thousand twenty three, are you? Do you have any relationships with any guys who are committed in your class to Texas, or even guys who are maybe a year younger, year older than you? Um, I'm good friends with uh, Nick Sanders. Uh, I've known him for a little while now. Um, you know, he kind of showed me the ropes to everything, welcomed me in with open open arms. Um, I don't really know any of the 24s or 25s. But, yeah, Nick is probably the closest I know. Okay. Um. So, since committing, how has that relationship with the Texas baseball staff, how has that evolved since you've committed to Texas? And just what what's your overall, like, vibe, I'd say, with the coaching staff? I mean, I think I've heard from at least every coach this summer. Like, they're all keeping up with me, keep seeing how I'm doing, you know, always staying in contact, seeing how things are going. And they're not, like, shying away just because I'm committed already. They're still seeing they're, – they're coming out and watching me play out here. Um, you know, the love is there. Like, I feel it. They really do a good job of showing it. Yeah. So how, how easy of travel is it from Detroit to Austin? Like, is it an easy flight? Is there a layover? Like, is there a good chance that your parents are going to be able to fly out to Austin quite a bit and come watch you play in Austin? It's about a two and a half hour flight. It's not too bad. You know, it's a little expensive, but yeah, I think they'll be able to make it. It's a nonstop flight. Um, so it shouldn't be too bad. Hopefully. Yeah. That's, that's always great to have being able to go play in front of your parents, but Let's let's move on a little bit. Let's talk about um, just some on the field stuff. So right now at, at Perfect Game, it says you're listed as a catcher and an outfielder. Um, yep. So what is your plan when you head to Texas? What's the plan in college? Have they have you talked to the coaching staff about it? Are they planning on having you as a catcher, outfielder, or what exactly is the plan here in, uh, two springs from now? So basically, you know, I uh, I love swinging the bat, and they say. As long as I'm swinging the bat, they'll find a place for me to play in the field. So that's my plan. Just go in there, hit, 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 work on the field and stuff too. Um, but I'll, I'll just make sure that I get myself a spot somewhere in the field out there because I can play. Okay. okay. So we kind of dug into your, your uh, hitting approach as your 90 mile an hour guy, but just overall each at bat, um, what is your overall hit? Uh, what is your overall uh, plate approach? As you're in the you're in the on deck circle, you're watching the guy in front of you, watching the pitcher, and then you're w- walking up to the batter's box. What's going through your mind? What are you trying to do with each at bat? And kind of how how does that change alter from the beginning account to maybe later in the count? Um. So the first two pitches, uh, I'm always watching, like from the guys in front of me, because you know most pitchers like to you know, give away what they're going to do the first two pitches. And um, my first two pitches, I get my best swings off. Like, you'll even hear me grunt sometimes, like, when I swing because, you know, I'm not going to get cheated on these first two, especially if they're strikes. Um, That's my mentality. Swing. Swing it, swing it, swing it, swing it, swing it. Because I have a two-strike approach that I trust so much. Like, I think – my two-strike approach is one of the best in the country. It's It works for me so often. Like, that's why I rarely strike out. I think I have, like, one strikeout in the past two tournaments. So, it's my two – I trust my two-strike approach. So, I'm really not 
afraid to get my best swings off on my first two pitches. That's all it really is. I clear my head. I don't really. I try not to think too much. I just trust my mechanics. You know, I work hard. I work hard in the batting cages. So trusting my mechanics. You know, letting my body do the work. It's pretty simple for me. Just get my best two swings off, and then that two strike approach. If I need it, it comes through. Yeah. So how? So overall, when did you start developing that two strike approach, and what drills were you doing to um, develop that, evolve that two strike approach? Um. So I didn't start it till probably like the start of June, and then like I saw Bryce Harper doing it. So I was like, hold on, let me see if I can do this here. And then when I'm in the cages, let's say I foul off one or I swing and miss at one or something like that, I'll go into my two-strike approach and I'll hit from there from the rest of the round. And another thing I would do, <clears throat> I'd go on the pitching machine and i do uh, curveballs, uh, start them high, start them low, kind of getting that feel because on two strikes, you know, most of the time you're either going to see a breaking ball or a high fastball, especially with the O2. Um, so seeing, being able to recognize a breaking ball that's in the dirt or a breaking ball that's high or a fastball high, just kind of training my mind to be disciplined and not swinging at those pitches, especially with two strikes, you know, got to be disciplined. Don't want to go chasing anything out of the zone. Yeah. So if you were a scout watching your game, this could be behind the plate as the catcher in the outfield, um, in the batter's box, and even in the dugout interacting with your teammates. What would be your personal scouting report on yourself? Uh, definitely. So plays with a ton of energy, has a lot of confidence in his game, uh, good arm strength. Uh, the bat to ball skills are off the charts. Um, I enjoy playing the game. Uh, you can tell, like, every time I go out there, I don't take the game for granted. I just go out and have fun. Um, fast actions. Uh, finds the barrel a lot. Hitting balls hard. Running everything out. A lot of energy. Knowing who's on base, where the where the play is. Has a good baseball IQ. Yeah. So, flipping it around. So, being a catcher. Do you get the chance to call games, or are you kind of uh, getting the – or is each call is each pitch being called by the coach? Oh, I get to call my own game. Okay. But in high school ball, I don't. Okay. So I when you're know. calling your own game in travel ball, what is your approach? Because obviously you're not in, – in travel ball, you're facing so many teams that you can't scout different players and be like, okay, he likes the fastball away. Let's do an opposite. Let's not pitch him fastball outside, whatever. So what is your approach when you're calling games considering you can't have a – like? an in-depth scouting report on each player? Um, so basically what I do is, well, it depends on the guy pitching. If I have a high-velocity guy, um, especially when we're using wood bats, I'm going to work in and out because a lot of people get too stuck on using the outside part of the plate. You know, some guys like that outside part of the plate. They like getting that extension. Sometimes you got to come inside, especially with wood bats. You can get a lot of firewood, especially if you got a guy throwing 90, 91, 92. Um, just asserting that fastball first, you know, making sure their command is there. And another thing that's essential is being able to throw the breaking ball for a strike. Um, I love I love it when a guy can throw it for a strike and also can throw it in the dirt for one, try to get him to chase. Because, you know, big time count, you got first and second, three, two, 
you throw him a slider for a strike, you know, he's looking, he's probably going to be sitting dead fastball and you get him to roll over into a double play. So hopefully, you know, I try to get the fastball first and also have the curveball or breaking ball for a strike. Okay. So have you ever had a pitcher um, maybe shake you off a couple times in a row? And when that does happen, like what's going through your mind? Like how's it feel to actually kind of be like have a pitcher shake you off and want to throw something else? Like what's going through your mind when that happens? Well, when someone shakes me off, I just say they better not hit it. Because, you know, I've had it a couple times. Pitcher shakes me off and a home run gets hit. So, you know, I I don't like it when pitchers shake me off. But if they feel comfortable throwing something else, I'm just saying they better not hit it. That's all I Okay. <laughs> all right. So what happens when the opposite happens? Let's say you call a pitch. You believe, okay, I'm going to get this guy out here. And then he wins that bat, gets maybe double in the gap. Something like he gets a he gets a base hit. What's going through your mind when that happens? Obviously, it's not all your fault, but obviously you called that pitch. So what what's happening at that point? Well, it depends if the pitcher missed the spot or whatever, you know. But I learn from it. You know, I see that he can handle that pitch, and we're gonna call something else this time or the next okay. time. All right. So who's been your who's been your favorite pitcher to catch before? That's tough. Uh, you can you can name a couple if you want to throw a couple names out there. Okay. One is Kurt Barr. He's on my high school team. Two, Boston Flannery. And three, I'll name one more, Blake Illich. Okay. So Boston's kind of a big name. Obviously, he has a pretty big following on Instagram, plays for the Bulls national team. Um, so when exactly did you when, – when did you get to catch him? I caught him at the Minority Baseball Prospects All-American game. And uh, he does everything I just mentioned. He commands his fastball, and he can throw the breaking ball for a strike, and he can throw, he commands everything so well. And uh, I really like catching him. His fastball, it just it just goes right in my glove every time. You know, he's never – every time I caught him, he's never wild. And every time I've seen him pitch, he's never wild. He's okay. always commanding his stuff really well. So would you say he's maybe the nastiest pitcher you've caught, or is there somebody else out there? Uh, there's definitely uh, this one guy. His name's Cole Selvig. He's another Texas commit. I caught him at the area code tryout, and uh, he's he's nasty. His curveball and slider and his changeup are all gross, and his fastball is gross too. His yeah. moves like twelve inches. It's it's unreal. Yeah. So when you're catching when you're catching the same guys on and on, so for high school season playing for Wild Factor. Um, obviously it's easy to build a relationship with those pitchers and just kind of know what's going on. But let's say you head to that, obviously you said area code tryout or you go and you're catching somebody you've never caught before. How do you go about kind of building that quick relationship and just building a kind of chemistry between yourself and the pitcher? Oh, well, it just starts like when you're playing catch with them uh, on the field, you know, talk it up with them, get to know them a little bit. And then uh, when you get in the bullpen, kind of read their mechanics, see what they're doing, see what they like, see what see what's working for them. And uh, once you get out there, you know, on the, like on the mound, actually in the game, like where the scouts are watching and stuff, um, you know how you can help them. Like what pitches are working, what pitches am I going to call here, what's working for him in the bullpen, what can I get out of him right here on this pitch. So stuff like that, you know, it's just like being able to build, talk it up with them, get to know them, know what's working that day and uh, getting to work. Yeah. So still talking about pitchers, but moving yourself into the batter's box besides behind the plate, 
Who's maybe been the hardest pitcher that you faced? It could oh, be man. high school, travel ball. Who's been the hardest pitcher that you've gotten to face in game? Uh, Brock Porter. Okay, I guess that's that's probably a pretty easy one for you, being from Michigan. But yeah, that was, what was? Oh my gosh, his, his what, fastball just it explodes out of his hand, and if you if you're not ready, it's gonna end up in the catcher's glove before you even know. It. And that's and then there's the slider you gotta worry about if you're a righty. And then if you're a lefty, you got the changeup that moves like a left-handed curveball. And it's like, I don't know, but the kid is the most one of the most dominant dominant pitchers I've ever seen. Okay. So how many times were you able to face him in your high school career? Oh, uh, I faced him two times. I got one hit. So Okay. Well take take, take us through those at bats. Obviously you were successful one time, you said. So what was it that made you successful one time but not the other? Kind of take us through how he started you off and then how were you able to end the at-bat? So that first time, he threw me a first-pitch fastball, and I jumped on it, hit it right back up the middle. And then the other times, um, I, I missed the fastball. That was the, that was the issue. You know, when the fastball's there, you, you can't miss it, especially on guys like Brock. You miss the fastball – Good luck hitting all this stuff unless he misses his spot because, you know, it's high school umpires. They're not they're not the greatest. They'll make the um, bat, the strike zone a little bit bigger than it already is. And uh, so that was my mistake, missing the fastball. You know, one time I looked at it, you know, I was like, that probably wasn't a strike. But, you know, high school baseball, you got to be ready. And we do 1-1 counts in, uh, in our Catholic League, so that doesn't help much either. So – you know, you, you start with one strike already, and you miss a fastball. You're you already had two strikes. So, one so. one counts. Like that's actually that's like an actual thing that you guys like live games. You guys start out every at bat one one. Yes, for the Catholic League because uh, we have to do double headers every every time we play something. Okay, so Catholic League. That's is that your other is that just your other term for your high school league? You play in a Catholic league, or yeah. is yes. it like a certain amount of teams in it? So there's a certain amount of teams in it. So there's like there's um five teams in my division and um four make it to the playoffs and then you know, playoffs there's semifinal games and then the championship game. Okay. But the Catholic League is like you play every team four times and it's like it's tough. Every team is decent. There's no, so, like, bad team. Every team's got a guy. Yeah. So, Catholically, you play – so you said you play each team four times, so two doubleheaders with each team. You are able to play other teams in Michigan, though, right? Yes, yes, yes. Okay. Because Catholic okay. League is separate from the state playoffs. Okay. I guess I've never – I mean, I've heard of a Catholic League before, but I've never heard of an actual, like, real game that actually matters starting each at bat 1-1. I guess I've never – that's actually that's actually pretty crazy to me. It just blew my mind. Yeah, it's really hard facing guys like Brock Porter with a 1-1 count. So, it's, you know, it's just something you got to deal with. Yeah. So, Brock Porter, he was kind of projected yesterday as maybe one of the first pitchers off the board. Ended up falling. And I actually – he got drafted today. I actually don't know who he got drafted by. Do you know? Uh, Texas Rangers. Texas Rangers? Okay. So, if he does go on, uh, goes, signs with the Rangers – what would be your advice for those pro hitters that are facing him for the first time? What would be your advice for guys facing Brock Porter? Hit a fastball. There's nothing else to it. Because you miss the fastball, you're, 
you're in a whole nother world with the slider and the changeup. So hit the fastball if you can. Okay. Like, definitely hit the fastball. Yeah. So have you built a relationship with Brock at all um, off the baseball field? Oh, a little bit. We work out at the same place. Uh, he just recently moved to a different uh, workout facility. But okay. I talked to him a few times. He's a good, he's a good kid. Yeah. So what's it like with him being a year older than you going through this draft process? What did you learn from him as he went through this draft process as one of his top guides in his class? What did you learn? What did you see? Um, just overall, what did you think of his draft process before the leading up to the draft this year? Um, I mean, what he did, he, every time he stepped on that field, he proved why he was one of the top guys in the country. Every time I saw him, there's not a single time where he had a fluke outing and he got hit around. Every time he did what everyone expected him to do. And that's what I've kind of taken into my game. Like, every time I go out there and play, I'm not going to take a at-bat off. I'm not going to take a pitch off. Every time I go out and play, I'm going to show everybody why I am, why okay. I am who I am. Hell yeah. Love to hear. That's great, great mentality to have. But let's – Let's move on a little bit to the advisor selection process. So like I said before we started recording, this is what I'm trying to do. I'm trying to be an advisor slash agent once I do graduate from college here in a couple of years. So when I do have a player on, I kind of ask a couple of questions, just dig into it a little bit. So I get that player side of thing, what players actually think when they're going through the process. Um, so when was it that advisors started reaching out to you? Uh, they started reaching out to me uh, like a week after I committed. Um, I had known, uh, you know, Preston uh, for a little while before that, but he wasn't really trying to be my advisor until I committed. Okay. So was there was there other advice? So obviously Preston, I know him pretty well, great dude, but was there other advisors that reached out to you as well? Yes. Okay. So when advisors were reaching out to you and they didn't, and these advisors didn't know you beforehand, how were they introdu- How were they introducing themselves? Were they te- uh, shooting you texts? Uh, introducing themselves in person, Instagram, DM, maybe. Um, how exactly were these guys reaching out? Uh, most of them uh, did it by text. They kind of gave me the rundown of who they are, what their organization is, and um, how they could help me. And then they get on a phone call with me and my parents and kind of like, give a spiel of how they could help me get to where I want to be. Okay. So as you go through this process of picking an advisor, what are some key things that you're looking for um, just maybe a, a, actually, okay, never mind. So as you go through this process, what are some key things that you're looking for? Um, just someone who uh, cares about me as a person and a player before like all the other stuff, you know, that really checks up on me, you know, sees how everything's going and stuff like that. You know, I don't want someone that's just in it for the money. I want someone that will actually, you know, take the time out of their day to see how things are going with me and stuff like that. Yeah, of course. So let's let's move on from the baseball field a little bit. Let's quit. We talk about baseball now for heck. I mean, probably forty five minutes if you can <laughs> if you combine both phone calls. So uh, let's move on. Let's talk about some stuff that you like to do beyond the baseball field. So what are some passions that you like to have when you're not playing baseball? Hmm. Uh, you know, I'm a big. Uh, well, other than like working out, I guess I love watching like TV shows. Okay, so what are some of those TV shows that you like to you like to watch? Um, Grey's Anatomy, uh, what else? Stranger Things, uh, Kicking It, Phineas and Ferb. Okay, 
All right, you, you get a, little, a wide wide selection there. Yeah, I mean, Stranger yeah. Things being a little, I've I've never watched Grey's Anatomy, but I've seen a lot of people I know watch it, and they seem like it's pretty serious. Moved on to Phineas and Ferb. I mean, that's a that's a little bit of a selection you got there going. But um, so being in Detroit, you said you're 20 minutes away from downtown. So what are some of your favorite things to do in your hometown? Is it maybe going to see a Tigers Lions game? Is there different things to do in Detroit? Um, what exactly do you like to do when you're you're back home in Michigan? Um, yeah, definitely the professional sports. Like, even though people say them as not very good, you know, I believe in them. One day, we'll get there. We'll get back to where we were. And um, I really enjoy going to those things. Uh, I like ice skating on the lakes. Um, what else? Fishing. I go fishing sometimes in the canal in the back in my backyard. Playing golf. Uh, you know, hanging out with friends, driving around, going to the piers and stuff. Uh, yeah. That's okay. Much. So being in Detroit, are you a fan of all four major teams, Red Wings, Pistons, Lions, Tigers? Yes. Okay. So what's what's the next team to bring home a championship to Detroit? It's been a while. So what's that Tigers. next team? You Tigers. got the Tigers? We have one of the best farm systems in the entire MLB. And it's starting to show. I mean, Cody Clemens, Riley Green, Spencer Torkelson, all uh, rookies this year. And they're already making a big impact. We just came off a six-game winning streak, uh, beat the White Sox, who are one of the top teams in the AL. So So have you you gotten a chance? Obviously, I mean, they've been building this farm just now for a couple of years. Torkelson and Riley Green, some of those top prospects in the minors heading into this season. So have you gotten a chance to go watch them play in person yet? I've watched Torkelson, but I have yet to see Riley Green. I haven't got – he when he got called up, I was out of town. I haven't gone home yet. Okay. So um, by the time – when I get back, I'm definitely going to go see if I can catch a game, watch him play. Uh, yeah, but he's – ever since he's gotten called up, he's had a big impact for the team. So Yeah. I've always – I've always – ever since I was probably a freshman in high school, I've always liked following different drafts, see where guys go and – Torkerson was a guy I always I always was a big fan of just with him being a first baseman. But um, so you actually you sent me some pictures when I sent asked for those baseball picks of you playing actually at Comerica Park. So how did oh, you get yeah. to play there? And what was that experience like playing at Comerica Park, a place that you've got to watch some of your favorite players growing up playing? It was unreal. Like it, we got to play there because of the Catholic League semifinals and um it was it was amazing. It's so much bigger than like high school fields. Like it's unreal. The backstops bigger. The fences are further back. Um, but it was really fun. Like I really enjoyed. It. Even even though we ended up losing that game, I still really enjoyed the experience. You know, being yeah. able to play on the same field as Miguel Cabrera. I mean, hundreds of baseball legends have played on that field, and it's like I'm very honored to be able to have that opportunity. Yeah. So, did you get the chance to take BP there at Comerica? Sadly, no. Didn't get the chance to take BP, but I'm sure I'll end up, you know, one day taking BP there. Yeah. I mean, you said bigger. I mean, the Comerica Park. You said big field. I mean, that's a big field for even Major League Baseball. I yes. mean, four four twenty in center. I mean, I I don't think I've ever watched a game and see someone hit it out dead center. It's it's crazy how big that place is. And then, like, the only – the second closest experience to that was definitely uh, the Little League World Series. Uh, that's, to this day, still the biggest stage I've played on. Um, I think it's really helped me uh, being able to handle, like, spotlight in big games. 
um, like playing in front of a crowd of 30,000 people at the age of 12 was definitely not easy. But uh, it took me like three games to overcome it. But, you know, it, that experience, that's something I'll never forget. And uh, that's something that's like definitely one of my best baseball experiences ever. Okay. So with you being the same class as Jace Blaylock, I know, I guess I didn't, I guess I didn't realize you were in the Little League World Series. I mean, I, I just remember seeing Blaylock a couple of years ago being a kid who hit like a 400, not 400 foot, but just hit like a big home run. So were you in that same Little League World Series as Blaylock? Uh, he was in the year before me. Because right, I'm so, a year younger than all those guys. Okay. So what? Little League World Series. Uh, 2018, he was 2017. Okay. So you said World Series your biggest uh, just challenge overall as a baseball player. Um, you playing in the League World Series, you said that was your biggest challenge, the biggest stage you've gotten to play on before. So can you kind of take us through what it was like going through these tournaments, qualifying for the League World Series, and then going out and playing in front of those 30,000 fans? Uh, yep. So districts, we rolled through districts. You know, everybody was doing good. I think I had like six home runs in districts. Um, and then states, same thing. We kind of rolled through our state besides – the state semifinal game, it was the bot. They we only played six innings in Little League. It was the bottom of the. It, it was bottom six. We're down by four, four to nothing. We we're getting killed, and um, we're down. I think we had two outs, and then this kid Jake Martin hits a single. And then the next batter gets walked. Reggie Sharp, who's on my team right now, uh, and then Jaron Purify comes up, hits a three-run home run. We're down four-three, and then next thing you know. Uh, one of my other teammates, Ryan Canable, it's a solo home run to tie it up. And then our pitching does a great job, keeps us in the game. We go into the eighth inning. Um, Reggie Sharp's on first. I come up to hit. Hit a sixth inning. Say, I come up to hit, and then um, I hit a, like a triple down the line. Reggie scores, and we hit a walk-off. So that was fun. And then we went to regionals. Went through the regionals with pretty easily. Then we got there. I feel like the pressure kind of got to us the first game. You know, we struggled, and then we finally came back again. We were down by four. We came back again and ended up winning that game. And then the next game, we played Hawaii, who ended up winning the whole thing. And we lost, like, eight to three or something. But we were the only team to score against them the entire tournament. Okay. And then... After that game, we played Midwest. We were down by four again. We walked it off again. And then the last game, we ended up playing Georgia with Ty Pete and Jansen Kenny, who are big guys right now in uh, my class. And uh, I ended up hitting a home run that game, and I had a diving catch, but we, we ended up losing three to four. So Okay. So I assume you were able to see yourself on TV at that point, right? Mm-hmm. Okay, so what was it like being, I mean, 12-year-old kid. So what was it like going home maybe, um, seeing yourself on YouTube and just seeing yourself playing on ESPN, those other, those other um, channels that cover the Little League World Series? What was that like, seeing yourself on TV and watching your game evolve in front of, I mean, at that point, millions of fans watching that game? Yeah, I mean, it was unreal. Like, you know, I'd be sitting in my bed, like on my phone, 
and I just see ESPN or Sports Center top ten, and I'm like, I'm in it. Like, that's been like my dream since I was a little itty bitty kid. Like, I always watch the ESPN Sports 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 Center top ten, and it's like, wow, that's really me. And to this day, it like gives me chills. You know, like yeah, that I had that that chance to play there, and like hopefully, it's that chance is still there, and I'm gonna be able to play on TV again. Yeah, keep it going. Yeah, man, I'm gonna have to after after we after we end this phone call, I'm gonna have to go look up that on YouTube. I guess I didn't realize you played in the Little League World Series, so that's actually pretty cool. I'm gonna have to go look up some highlights, watch that Sports Center top ten. But just got two more questions for you before we end off the podcast. Okay. So you head to Texas here next fall. Um, last summer, NIL became a big thing. Became um, college athletes are now eligible to make money off their name, image, and likeness. So if you head into a college campus next fall and you now have that ability to make money off your name, image, and likeness. Is there a favorite brand or maybe a dream brand that you'd like to work with besides the Nike, Adidas, Rawlings, besides those companies? Was there, is there maybe a dream brand that you'd love to work with someday? Uh, well, I've always wanted like to be sponsored by like a bat company. And uh, my, definitely my favorite bat company is uh, Old Hickory. That'd be kind of cool to be sponsored by them, uh, you know. Or uh, if not Old Hickory, definitely Little Caesars Pizza. Okay, hey, that's that's a good one, especially being up there in Michigan, because Little Caesars. That's I think that was made in Michigan, right? Yeah, it is. Okay, all right. So you say Bat Company. So when your episode does release, I believe there is a Bat Company who is the episode sponsor. So I'm gonna tag them in the post when I when I release it. You're gonna to have to go check them out. They're they're gonna be major league certified next year. They got a couple guys in the Diamondback system. They they're based in Indiana, about two hours away from the state Michigan the Michigan Indiana line. So gonna to have to check them out. Might be a local company you'd be uh, interested in. But okay, um, just the last question I got for you. So as you another this one's head uh, this one's about next fall as well. So as you head to Texas, head to Austin, Texas next fall. What is the biggest thing you're wanting to work on in your game? It can be in your class, in the classroom. What's the biggest thing you're wanting to work on before heading to a college campus? Um, just polishing, polishing everything I do, like making sure that I'm doing everything defensively, correctly, and offensively. Doing, making sure that I'm becoming the best player that I can possibly be, and um, being ready for the competition that I'm going to see when I get there. Okay. All right. Well, Oliver, that's all the questions I got for you, man. Really appreciate you coming on the show. Yeah. I really appreciate Preston introducing you to my to me. Um, just loved getting getting to know you a little bit more. Um, I got to do a little bit of research on you this past week or so. Love your game. Um, I guess I'm gonna have to, like I said, watch those Little League World Series clips, watch you play a little bit more. But yeah. just really appreciate you coming on the show. Best of luck this this next couple events here this summer, next spring, and then what what um good luck in um in college when you head to Texas. So. Uh, Just thanks for coming on the show, man. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that's going to do it for another episode of the JKR podcast. Got some great content today. Great content all weekend, if I'm being completely honest. So I'm hoping you guys are enjoying it all. Uh, We got one more episode this weekend before we round it out. 
We've got 2023 baseball commit to LSU. We got Ashton Larson on the show, so make sure to check that out tomorrow. We also got two great episodes coming up next week as we have Ryan Garrity, Wichita State commit, Coleman Mizell, Alabama baseball commit. Um, so those are going to be episodes number 98 and 99. So we are rounding up on episode number 100, about to be three digits. It's been a fun experience so far. I can't wait to see what's going on here in the future for the JKR podcast. So make sure to check those out. But if you want any more updates on the podcast, make sure to go give our website a follow. It's going to be www.jkrpodcast.com. Get links to all our YouTube clips. Get you clips to uh, get links to all our episodes. Um, little Learn a little bit more about how the podcast all got uh, started. So that's pretty cool. Check that out. Um, and then for any more updates in terms of quotes of the week, player takeover, stuff like that, go get, go to our social media on Instagram and Twitter. It's going to be at JKR underscore podcast. So check those out, and I'll catch you tomorrow for the interview with Ashton Larson.